Good morning, everybody. Welcome to chapel. Um, let's begin today by singing together in the blue hymnal number 414, God Who Stretched. Um, and let's stand for this one. be seated. Good morning. Today's chapel is about TED Talks, or rather, ideas worth spreading. Today marks the end of the prayer odyssey and the beginning of this weekend's religion and science conference on campus, so we want to highlight the compatibility of science and religion, or creation and scripture. We all too often separate the two, when in reality they're not mutually exclusive, but rather can serve to support each other and challenge the other to think more deeply and to continue to grow. Please join us in the litany reading from the screen. We'll read several scripture verses and you can respond with the words from the screen. Moses was educated in all the learnings of the Egyptians and he was a man of power in words and deeds. When the spirit of truth comes, the Spirit will guide us into all truth. And God gave Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. When the Spirit of truth comes, the Spirit will guide us into all truth. And the Lord said, all the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to them who understand and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. When the spirit of truth comes, the spirit will guide us into all truth. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When the spirit of truth comes, the spirit will guide us into all truth. 
And now we'd like to invite you to pass a piece with the people around you so you can stand up and greet each other.
Next, I invite you to turn in your green, sing the journey, to number 16, praise with joy the world's creator. 16. This might be a little unfamiliar to us, so the instrumentalists will play through it but once before we sing. i 
entitled my comments this morning, God and TED Talk. Ideas worth spreading. When TED Talks, people listen. And I'm not talking about TED, you know, that man, bear, teddy bear, in the comedy by that name, that guy who sat, that big teddy bear who sat next to his best friend on the couch, his friend who was a devil-may-care cannabis-smoking dude from Boston, not Teddy Bear Ted. I'm talking about capital T, capital E, capital D, TED Talks, the mega online video lecture series that has been viewed now by well over two billion people. Originally, TED Talks were just about T technology, E entertainment, and D design. They have since morphed into almost every conceivable topic of interest. Today, you can listen to about 700 different TED Talks, now translated in over 100 different languages. TED has been so successful that now you can even upload web parodies called Onion Talks, with such titles as What is the Biggest Rock? Ducks Go Quack and Chickens Go Cluck? And a series of Dead Talks, which are TED Talks by zombies. Now, the idea behind TED Talks is that good ideas are worth spreading, that good ideas shared passionately have power to change attitudes, lives, and the world for the better. Not surprisingly, perhaps, the current CEO and the guy who actually made TED Talks such a phenomenon around the world was raised by medical missionary parents, British medical missionary parents. Chris Anderson grew up in Afghanistan, India, and Pakistan, and is clearly an evangelist for good ideas. TED Talks is a remarkable resource for learning some of the most fascinating ideas by some of the world's leading distinguished experts and leaders in every discipline imagined. You can learn about, for example, the mathematics behind all drum beats, how schools kill creativity, the surprising science of happiness, the power of introverts, the life-saving, immune-protecting power of poo. And not, that's not the bear. And of course, the now famous commencement speech, the most famous commencement speech ever by Steve Jobs in How to Live Before You Die, which he gave at the Berkeley commencement just before he died. If I were to give a TED Talk, it might be titled something like, Why My Christian Instinct Favors Religionless People. Why My Christian Instinct favors religionless people, a phrase I borrowed from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Let me put it this way. Sometimes I trust the skepticism of the scientific method to reveal the truth about reality and life more than many a Christian claim about truth. The faith of most scientists in the basic truthfulness of nature that somehow nature has no reason to lie to us is truly inspiring for me as an interdisciplinary major here at Goshen College many years ago in Bible 
religion, and natural science. All scientists worthy of the name have a modesty that I sometimes wish more non-scientist Christians and others would emulate. Of course, there are plenty of arrogant know-it-all scientists as well, but they are often the ones who draw metaphysical conclusions outside the confines of their discipline where they can be no more authoritative than a theologian or a philosopher who discover truth by other means. Others, scientists, of course, are just like humans in general, plain arrogant. Can't help that. But I do love the inherent modesty in the scientific method, which by definition is a self-correcting discipline. You observe nature or phenomenon around you, you develop a hypothesis, you test the hypothesis, you draw a conclusion. Simple as that. In the end, you support a theory's predictions that are confirmed by your observations, and you challenge a theory when its predictions don't pan out. I really like that method. For example, many, many years, scientists thought that reality, the universe, and all that was in it, including me and you, was, existed in a steady-state modality. Matter was finite, a theory backed by Einstein's assumptions and mathematical calculations. That was the facts, baby. Then, in 1929, astronomer Edwin Hubble, the one whose name was given to the Hubble telescope, observed that distant galaxies were moving away from us and that farther away they got, the faster they seemed to be receding, implying a scattering of matter to the winds. And then if you rewound this motion of the universe like an old movie reel, you would come back to a point when the universe began, which was then called, as we know, the Big Bang Theory, for lack of a better term. This wonderful discovery led Einstein to admit that his earlier assumptions about steady-state matter of the universe was the biggest mistake of his life. Happy birthday, Einstein. Today's his birthday, by the way. Now, you tell me, who do you know of such renown, such prominence, such intellectual power, who would ever admit to having made such a colossal error? In all my reading in theology and philosophy and constructivist social and literary theory, in all my reading of biographies of famous theologians or philosophers or social critics, I have rarely, if ever, encountered anyone who would admit to such a mistake in their theories or their beliefs or their doctrinal conclusions. Can you imagine, for example, Nietzsche or Derrida or Foucault, you'll learn about those in literary criticism and social criticism, or Dawkins, or any of the new atheists for that matter, ever admitting that just maybe their basic assumptions about life or ways of knowing or conclusions were just plain wrong? And not to be too hard on them, neither would many Christians dare admit the same of their pet doctrine, interpretation of life, or scripture or ideological point of view. 
We Christians tend to call such stubborn belief unwavering conviction or true discipleship. Where is our modesty when it comes to our own faith convictions? You tell me. I love the basic truth that we sang about, the truth-telling power of creation that the psalmist in Psalm 19 expresses when he says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth God's handiwork. Or in like manner, the Apostle Paul in Romans writes that creation reveals the eternal power of a mystery of God. I bet if you ask any one of our professors in the science department, they would probably say something very similar. When they look through a microscope and see the beautiful structure of a tiny cell or peer into the night sky with a telescope to see the vast swirling tail of the Milky Way. If I were to leave you with an idea to ponder this morning, I would recommend this truism that says all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. Let's be a bit more trusting of what God might be telling us in nature, around us, above us, and inside of us. It's okay to be skeptical about any and all interpretations, whether of nature or text, because after all, we are humans, not God, not God's, prone to getting things wrong, but capable of making things right if we admit our mistakes, like Einstein, and learn from them and try again. I confess, though, I'm a bit frustrated that TED Talks gives Christianity a bad rap overall. TED Talks aggravates the cultural stereotype that Christianity is really not one of the great ideas we're spreading, at least not spreading too far. And this from a missionary kid who oversees the whole thing. There are only three lectures under the heading Christianity. One by, you guessed it, Billy Graham. One by Rick Warren, the megapolis pastor from Southern California. And the other one of the three is one by a comedian a one-woman show called Letting Go of God. It's funny, but it's about the speaker's journey from Christianity to atheism. I understand the reason behind the negative stereotype because it's true that so many Christian believers are often pre-Copernican in their attitudes about truth-telling power of nature, what history has always called natural revelation. The stereotype of Christianity as a bad idea started way back when Copernicus first published his book, and this was right about the time of the Anabaptist Mennonite emergence, 500 years ago. He published his book called On the Revelations of the Celestial Spheres, in which he described a sun-centered solar system, hence the word solar system. And Galileo, who came soon after him, was excommunicated twice from the church because he recanted once and then he went back to what he believed was true. That is Copernicus' notion of the solar system. He was excommunicated for that belief twice. 
And ever since, bad blood has been festering between religion and science, or the scientific worldview. We might ask ourselves this morning, let's ask ourselves, do we really imagine that God would create the world in such a way that creation would deliberately and ultimately mislead scientists and other truth seekers in making false claims about the truth that they find in nature by trial and error? Why would God be so sneaky, so deceptive, especially when it appears that God led the psalmist and the Apostle Paul to say, uh, to say uh, when it appears that Creation has a role in leading people to God. That's what the psalmist says, and that's what Apostle Paul says. Should Christians not be welcoming, then, of the truths honed under the self-correcting microscope of modern science, be it about Earth's age or the structure of DNA or the climate change or the healing properties of vitamin C? Scripture, which, by the way, also has within it its own self-correcting mechanisms. That is, it has texts that talk to each other throughout the Bible, not all saying exactly the same thing. Scripture tells us that Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, all of it. The four Jewish students, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, gained knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning the Bible says, all in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. The very essence of wisdom in the Bible includes religious and non-religious learning. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, collected data. He was an empiricist. He gathered all of the fauna and flora of the world, known world and put it on his great uh, chart, phylum chart, way back then and gathered the 3,000 proverbs from all over the known world, distilled by cultures from all over into his compendium. Wisdom was both secular and religious. They were really close together and was even described as part of God's divine world before the creation ever began. In the beginning was the word of God, which John says in Proverbs 8, it says, in the beginning was wisdom, knowledge, before creation. In short, Scripture underscores the truth that the Spirit will lead us into all truth. Bishop Augustine, one of the great theologians of the first millennium, summarizes the comprehensive nature of truth-seeking this way. He said, let every good and true Christian understand that wherever truth may be found, it belongs to his master or her master. Said slightly differently, wherever truth be found, whether revealed or discovered, it is from God. Apostle Paul said it, and we read it, Whatever is true, whatever is admirable, whatever is noble, think about these things. In other words, as my mother used to always say to me, God has given you a good mind, Jim, or James as she would say. Use it. That's the good news 
worth spreading. God has given us good minds and a natural world. We need to study it for all it's worth. Christianity needs such higher thinkers, men and women able to discern truth wherever it's found, including using the Holy Scriptures. And where better ought we find such high thinkers but in a Christian higher education? If a Christian university settles for anything less than a comprehensive quest for truth as discovered in all the disciplines, it is less a Christian university by the very standards of sacred scripture. I said at the outset that my gut feeling often favors non-religious people because they are willing oftentimes to think hard about things, to ask questions religious people sometimes fear to ask, to come to belief skeptically, if at all. I do, however, lament that it's also true that many non-religious people fail to ask the same hard questions of their belief in unbelief that they want believers to ask of their belief. Science can't resolve, for example, the metaphysical questions of the reason for existence of the universe, nor the reason for the existence of any physical laws at all, nor for the reason of our existence. Why are we here? It's the great question. We could not be here, potentially. Nor can science answer a myriad of other boundary questions beyond the scope of scientific inquiry. That, too, is a truism. Most scientists, worthy of their craft and modest in their claims, will confess to that and must make such a confess confession to be true to their discipline. Though, of course, many do not do so. But that's a conversation for another day. I just don't want any budding atheist out there to be dumb atheists any more than I like non-thinking believers. Do your homework before becoming to a dogmatic discipline of any worldview. Please, Scripture bids us to. Scripture trusts in nature, in, in, in the gift that God has put into us, in the spirit that will lead us to truth. Finally, let us remind ourselves that at Goshen College, a Christ-centered college of high thinkers, we claim the mantle of compassionate peacemaking as a core value. It is the core value of our, uh, of our lessons in life this year here on campus. So let's do our best to live peacefully with each other in all areas of disagreement, and especially let us make every effort to make peace between the age-old schism of science and religion. Now that would be, in TED Talk terms, an idea worth spreading far and wide. And so to that end, I'd invite all of you, if you've got a free night, to join me in the annual college, Goshen College Religion and Science Conference, as was mentioned earlier. It begins this evening at 7.30 with a lecture right here in the hall. If you want to register for the whole conference, you can do so still and it will go through Sunday morning. The theme this year is human uniqueness and the image of God, and it is led by Dr. Joshua Moritz, 
a Jewish lecturer of philosophical theology and editor of the journal Theology and Science. I'm guessing out of the weekend there'll be tons more ideas worth spreading. Thanks be to God. Let's sing number 48 in your blue hymnal, 48, All Creatures of Our God and King. Can I have an e -flop? We'll sing verses 1, 4, and 5, and I invite you to stand. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. May the Spirit of God of truth send us forth and guide us into all truth. Go in peace. <laughs>